You guys go ahead and take a seat. My name is Pastor Russ. Welcome to Four Points Church. We're honored that you've taken some time to join us. You've thawed out. Hopefully you've got milk and bread still. I bet it's a week old. You bought it over a week ago for Snowmageddon and you've probably eaten one PB&J with all of it. I saw someone post the other day on their Facebook, a half drink gallon of milk, a half thing of bread, and they said $50 starting bid. Give it a week, and you might get a taker for that $50 starting bid. Hey, we're going to be in several texts today. A lot of times we study certain sections of the Bible. In a couple of weeks, we're going to start a march to the cross as we get ready for Easter. And we're going to go from John 13 all the way to John 18 leading up to Easter Sunday. Uh, There's some rumors that there's a praise choir that's going to be assembling for that Easter Sunday. I'm excited about that personally because I got a lot of gospel in me and I like to jump around a little bit more. So we're going to have some fun as we get closer and closer to that. But today, uh, we're going to look at several texts starting in 1 Thessalonians and then jumping into the book of Hebrews. So uh, if you have a physical copy of God's Word, open up to 1 Thessalonians with me. We're in a series called The One Another Campaign. The truth is, after isolation, I lived in California. Y'all were in lockdown for like a month. We were in lockdown. We're still in lockdown uh, in California. I think we're still trying to figure out when we get to come out. Like, can we eat Burger King yet? Like, you know, um, if you work for DoorDash, you can get out. But if you want to get fresh air, you can't. You stay in your house. Um, So we uh, lived in that separation from community. Uh, We couldn't find reasons to shower and shave for months on end. And as a result of it, when we finally got to come out of our shelter, uh, it was tough figuring out how to be around people again. Any of you ever, like, you got out of practice being around people so much that when you came back around people, it took a minute to get used to people? It's just me? Okay, one one person. Praise God, too. I see that hand. Uh, And so it just just took, it's taken some time. And, And I would submit to you that when it comes to being the people of God in a church community, a faith community, we kind of lost what that looked like over the last two years. And I, I think we're in a process of trying to figure out how, how do we get back to getting on mission, not just ourselves, but with a group of people who are unified by the blood of Christ and the Spirit of God at work in them so that we can be a representative of God in the community around us. And so uh, this series is really about us learning how to be a community again with each other. Uh, There's no letters written after the Gospels except for conflict that exists within the local church. So the church is born in the book of Acts. Uh, The Spirit of God comes. Peter preaches the first sermon post-resurrection, and he begins it with, we're not drunk, it's too early. (laughs) Thousands of people get saved. God moves in a miraculous way. They share a unique unity to the point that when they pray, the entire building shakes. When they suffer... They are encouraged because they are identifying their suffering with the suffering that they saw Christ endure. And as a result of Christ's suffering, the resurrection had come. So if we are walking in the same path of Jesus, our suffering is not meaningless. It's not useless. But God is using it for a peculiar glory. And we can be people of good courage even in the face of great suffering if it's in the path of obedience to Christ. And so they had this unity that couldn't be discouraged and couldn't be set back by hardship But then the Hellenistic Jews get overlooked in the daily distribution of the food. And we start 
identifying each other by the world's markers instead of Christ's markers. And as a result of it, a division begins to exist within the local church. We begin to make class systems within the church. So Jesus' half-brother James has to come and say, hey, don't honor the rich and put the poor people in the back or dishonor those who are less fortunate. Don't give seats of honor to people based on worldly markers in your church and uh, uh, disengage or remove people who are of less honor by the markers of the world within your church. You see, the church didn't know how to be the church. And so 59 times in over 100 plus instances, Paul writes or Peter writes or one of the apostles write to do something in consideration of someone other than yourself because selfishness doesn't belong in the community of Christ. We started in week one talking about the need for us to make margin in our minds to consider one another. These are elementary things. These are things you say to your kid. Be considerate of your brother. Be considerate of your sister. Yet within church, we don't tend to practice what we preach. We're considerate of some, but we're inconsiderate of others. We welcome some, but we dismiss others to the back of the room or the back of our minds. And Paul says that we are to make margin in our minds and lives for the people of God as a part of the community of God. God. Last week we went to something even more elementary, and I would call it the root system of every one another that's taught from that point forward, and we talked about the need for us to love one another. Now, I didn't go into all the definitions of love last week. A lot of preachers will talk about the fact that in the Greek we have multiple words that mean love, because uh, if you love a chicken sandwich from Chick-fil-A, that's a high level of love. But hopefully it doesn't eclipse your love for your neighbor or your love for your spouse or your love for your kids on most days. Some days I may love Chick-fil-A more than I love my kids. I agape Chick-fil-A, I, you know, filet on my kids. They're, they're there, okay? But, but my, my point is we are to be a community that because of Christ's love for us and Christ's work in us loves each other in a covenantal way. It's not transactional. Unfortunately, though, a lot of your... In, in, uh, a lot of your uh, experiences within church have been transactional love. So if you fit in with the community, you're loved well, you're welcomed well, but when you don't fit in, when your life goes off the rails, when things go upside down, you find the community of Christ to be some of the most unloving people and unwelcoming people to walk with you in that season of life. And I just want to be very clear, this is not a country club, this is a hospital. We are a broken people that need major transformation done by the Spirit of God through the Word of God, pointing us to the servant of, uh, of the Father who is the Son, Jesus, who lived the life we couldn't live and died the death we should have died. And so we are not a place filled with perfect people. And you hear that at all kinds of churches, yet when you're imperfect, you often find love not being the action that follows those statements. we got to learn how to be a community that considers and loves each other. But today I want to take it a step further, and I want to talk to you about this call from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9. Look at the text with me. It says this, For God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us, He doesn't lead with anger. He leans with an invitation. He doesn't lead with condemnation. He leads with conviction. He invites you to the fact that there is a better way that you cannot find by your own way that must have been paved by him so that you could live in it and walk in it. And so the the text pours out. He's not leading with anger. He's not poured that out. Instead, he desires mercy. He desires grace. He desires forgiveness for you, real forgiveness. The word forgive means there's proof that you've wronged God. 
And all of us have lived lives with plenty of proof that we've wronged God. And should he choose to, he justly could hold that over our heads and let it rain down in eternity over us justly. But the word forgive means he has released and let go. He's not released and let go because he's a good person. He's released and let go because he's suffered for the sin. It's just for him to forgive you because he paid the penalty of it with his very life. So Christ died for us that whether we are dead or alive when he returns, we can live with him forever. And that's some really good news, especially after the last couple of years. So since this is true, since Christ has led with mercy, since Christ has paid the penalty, since Christ offers forgiveness to whosoever, and it's my favorite word in Greek because it means whosoever. You can be it. It don't matter if you're from Woodruff. You could have been on at Sugar Tit the other night doing things that we ain't going to talk about in church. You can be a whosoever. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done. So in light of that, encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. I read this poem by an unknown author. I love it. It talks about, I think, a question we should consider today in light of this call in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. The poem goes like this. I saw them tearing down a building. I saw them tearing a building down, a gang of men in a dusty town. With a yo-heave-ho and a lusty yell, they swung a beam and a sidewall fell. I asked the foreman if these men were as skilled as the men he'd hire if he were to build. He laughed and said, oh no, indeed, common labor is all I need. For those men can wreck in a day or two what builders had taken years to do. I asked myself as I went my way, which kind of role am I to play? Am I the builder who builds with care, measuring life by the rule and square? Or am I the wrecker who walks the town, content with the role of tearing it down. Here's my question to us as a community. Are we the type of community that encourages and builds each other up, or are we the common labor that tears each other down? Those disconnected from the community of God often wonder why they should get involved with a group of people within the community of God, because let's just be honest, the conversations seem to be the same, the gossip's still the same. We talk about sports and the weather. We stay surface level. We never go below the surface to the surgical level where God needs to work and potentially would bring us into a community where we could heal. Uh, that's a scary proposition. Perhaps you were even crazy enough at one point in time to think that that's what this community was about. And you brought it up only to be shamed, gossiped, and slandered, and dismissed. Only to find yourself not invited to the invitations of the parties where the surface relationships would continue to exist. And so instead of continuing to offer your weaknesses so that Christ's strength could be seen in them as an encouragement to others around you. You hid your weaknesses and stayed on the surface just like everybody else. Are we the kind of community where we build and encourage each other? Or are we the kind of community that's common labor? Like common community outside the walls of the church, we just tear each other down and do it the same way everybody else has done. Now many of you are like, yeah, you go get them. You tell them about the church. But here's the Second question, and it's just as important, are you the kind of person, not us, let's make it personal, are you the kind of person that encourages and builds each other up? And here's why that matters. This church cannot be anything corporately that you aren't individually. 
So if we're not made up of individuals that encourage and build each other up, then we can't expect us to be a corporate gathering of believers centered on the Holy Spirit and in love of the gospel of Jesus Christ that would encourage and build each other up because you would be part of the problem. I remember an old pastor was asked by a London paper back in the late 1800s, what is wrong with the world? And his entire column was supposed to fill up the entire side of that paper that morning. And his answer was very simple and direct. Sir, I am, period. I'm what's wrong with the world. I'm what's wrong with the Christian community here. And I'm the pastor. I'm messed up. I'm jacked up. I've failed before, and I will fail in the future. I will need grace, and I will need accountability and community, and I will need people that can walk alongside me to see my blind spots and also to see the spots I saw, and I still did it anyway. I I need encouragement. I need a group of people around me that see me in my weakness, but they speak to the potential of Christ in me, the hope of glory. I, I need people that build me up because there are times where I doubt that I am actually the man of God that people have called me to be or that this position requires me to be. There, there are times where I doubt whether or not I am sufficient in Christ or that Christ's work is powerful enough to do in me what is required for me to be what you need as your pastor. You see, I, I need encouragement and building up just as much as you need encouragement and building up, yet for some reason we often will encourage each other annually or at the funeral, but we rarely will say until the funeral what we should be saying to them while they're living. What I want you to understand is that encouragement and honor must be native to a Christian community. It it must be normal, not abnormal. Discouragement can be found anywhere in the streets, but encouragement should be uniquely found. And the type of encouragement we're called to share should be uniquely found within the community of Christ, yet it often escapes us. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 13 in the NIV says this, but encourage one another daily. This should be a common element of the Christian life. Part of my existence, part of what I try to do daily is consider, okay, how do I build up someone else? How do I speak life into someone else that is around me? How do I think of others, make margin in my brain to acknowledge where I've seen God's work in someone else's life that has encouraged me or that I've seen Jesus and I can encourage them in it? So it's to be a common habit. It's to be native. It's daily, as long as it is called today. I love that. It's like saying, when should we encourage? Any day that ends in why? essentially what the scripture's saying. When should we build each other up? Any day that ends in why. As long as it's today. Don't put off for tomorrow when it's still today. Are you getting the idea? This should be a normal, common practice so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. So none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Now think about this. What this text is saying is that there is a temptation to wander and forget Uh, and, and, and forget daily. Therefore, Christ has given us a community of encouragement to combat those temptations. So I am daily prone to wonder from being a faithful follower of Jesus into being a complacent follower of Jesus, which is the express way to being a disobedient non follower of Jesus. The remedy within the community of Christ is that there will be a group of people come Monday whenever I've over-evaluated the sermon I preached on Sunday and I think I'm terrible and I need to retire and quit or go work at Burger King and quit. On Monday when that happens, that there's this group of people that spurred by the Spirit of God 
bring forth encouragement to remind me of the ongoing work of God. I am not the preacher that I want to be 20 years from now. I've not arrived at my peak. However, I am not the preacher that I was back in the beginning. And it's the resource of encouragement that reminds me that Christ is not done yet. That the work has just begun in me. And for some of you, you need that daily. Otherwise, you wander into complacency, wander away from the presence of God, and walk into a a sinful disconnection from him throughout the week. So, So God's remedy is that daily we would encourage so that we don't get hardened by sin's temptation. We don't get hardened by sin's path that is familiar familiar, and almost, if we're honest, a way of punishing ourselves for the failures and the people that we've yet to become. Hmm. So we encourage each other so that it reminds, hey, you are not where you want to be, but you're not where you used to be either. You see, discouragement can lead you into both apathy and forgetfulness about the ongoing work of God. And both are expressways into sin. So, encouragement must be daily. It must be native within a Christian community. Now, we should, at this point, notate what Christian encouragement looks like. Because it's not like the world's version of it. And we can talk about that at great length. But Hebrews chapter 10, the same letter, we go on to see encouragement laid out for us in the middle of this letter. It's an incredible letter that was written to likely the church in Rome who was going through lots of difficulty and suffering, being ostracized from their family because of their relationship and identity as followers of Jesus. And in the middle of that, uh, where there's been many who have been tempted to walk away from their faith, where many have failed Christ, because let's just be honest, none of us have walked perfectly since praying the prayer None of us have like not had a need for grace that's been ongoing since we first met Jesus. We, we still need God's grace and mercy today more than yesterday. And in the middle of this, there's this great encouragement that comes in Hebrews chapter 10. Look at the several verses with me, verses 19 to 25. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us, you're going to see this four times, go right into the presence of God without hesitation, with sincere hearts fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Let us, second time, hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted. This is some, for some of you, this is why you came to church today. God can be trusted to keep his promise. So let us, third time, Think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us, for time, not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage, there's the word, one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. What is Christian encouragement? Let me give you a few things. Number one, Christian encouragement is shared amongst a community. Discouragement can run wild and rampant in isolation, but encouragement should run wild and rampant within the Christian community. Four times we're told to do something together. 
Let us together hold fast. Let us together draw near. So it's not a you are She-Ra warrior princess, you are He-Man, go after Jesus, be strong, and make everyone else ashamed of how weak their pursuit of Christ is. No, it's a communal pursuit. It's us gathered together, us holding tight to the faith together, us walking into the presence of God together. It's, it's a communal encouragement. So if we are to do it, we are to do it together. Many of you are really good at encouraging yourself. Some of you are like, no, I'm not. I, I discourage myself all the time. But think about how much time you spend looking for encouragement of yourself. You scroll social media for every like. You deep dive into every word or remark and what it could mean or not mean because they didn't put an emoji to show their face and what they were looking like whenever they said what they were saying. And all of it is because we're focused on ourself and our platform. Many of you, the biggest change in your life that would transform you, that would help you so much in your identity, would be that if you would stop worshiping yourself and start encouraging others as a community. Stop being worried about being encouraged by the community. Start being encouragement to the community, and God would do an incredible work through you. So Christian encouragement is shared amongst a community, number one. Number two, it reminds us of the present hope of Christ. For we are not a people that are hopeless in any season or any circumstance, but we have the present hope of Christ. Christ has done some stuff for you, even if you've not seen him do the stuff that you want him to do. And what he's done, I would commit to you, is essential and required for anything else that could be done in the future. So we need to be reminded in Christian encouragement of our present hope. Look at verse 19. It says this, And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because you were good boys and girls and didn't make, get on the naughty list last year. Because you did self-righteous acts of religious behavior and you look better than your neighbors. No, you, you get to have access to God the Father by God the Son, via the Holy Spirit, because Jesus spilled blood to pay for it. Sin requires death for payment. We were cursed by sin. Deuteronomy says anyone who hangs from a tree is accursed by God. Jesus took your curse on himself and paid that penalty. It is finished. It is done. There is no future work, future promise of good behavior that pays to you having that position before God. It was the blood of Jesus that secured it. By his death, Jesus opened a new and living way through the curtain into the most holy place. The holy of holies separated Gentiles and women and anyone that wasn't a priest that went in once a year into the holy presence of God from the holy of holies, from being in the presence of God in that unique way. You and I experience the Holy Spirit in ways that they never experienced because Jesus made a new and living way. So I don't, I don't know what you got going on. You may be discouraged, life may be difficult, you may be surrounded by disease and sickness and death. But here's what I know that you've got going on if you're in Christ. The blood's been paid, the access has been granted, the Holy Spirit has come, and he is empowering and encouraging and resourcing you for every good work and every good deed that you've been called to do. you got that going for you. So be encouraged that that's present, not future. That's here, right now, not to come later in a better season of life whenever the world turns around and everyone stops being uh, sick and just run down. So by his death, Jesus opened a new and living way through the curtain to the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest, that's right now. Jesus is your high priest. He is ministering on your behalf right now. Romans teaches us that when we don't know what to pray, Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father praying the things that we don't know to utter. So there, there are times over the last two years 
Or my prayers have been, I know y'all don't want to be that honest, but I know some of you, you, you may not have thought that. You're like, that's genius. <laughs> I kept it as a silent unspoken. And you mean I can come before God and go, yeah. Here's what's amazing. If I'm reading Romans correctly, Jesus is like, hey, Father, he needs encouragement through the Spirit. He needs your providential hand to provide a community that can encourage. He needs you to put friends in his life. He thinks he needs this, but he doesn't need that. He's asking for the wrong thing. What he really needs, isn't that an amazing high priest? This is why, this is why I'll just be blunt. This is why we're Protestants. There's no mediator other than Jesus between me and the Father. I don't want a middleman. I want Jesus. I want Jesus as my advocate. I want, I want Jesus as the one ministering on my behalf. And that's what the scriptures have promised us. We get Jesus. So I don't know what you have going on, but you got Jesus if you're in Christ. That shouldn't be discounted. So Christian encouragement is shared in a community, but it reminds us of the present hope of Christ. Number three, it reminds us of a certain future. It reminds us of a certain future. Look at verse 23. It goes on to say, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. Hope is not what's already been received. Hope is what's yet to be received. There's a day where we will not need hope and faith anymore. These are the uh, means by which we stay in fellowship with Jesus. We, We don't know everything about how it's going to play out. We know some things. We're not unaware we're not uninformed, but, but at the end of the day, there's a lot of this that revolves around, do we really trust Jesus or not? Do we trust that the God who began will finish? Do we, do we trust that if he promised to never leave or forsake, even though we feel like we're in the most forsaken of seasons of life, that he's still there, even though our senses can't sense his presence? That's faith. Hope is he promised, and I've yet to see or receive it. He promised that he would not leave us, but that he would come back because he is going to prepare a place for us. Do I really hope and believe in that? Does that have an impact in the way that I view current life and circumstance? So, so there is a future for you in Christ. Don't know what you got going on for you, but he's promised it. He's at work in it. He's bringing it to fruition and for many of us, if we're not careful, the hope could diminish because of the peril of life. And we could become, instead of a people of encouragement, a people who are discouraged. So it reminds us of a certain future. And number four, it points out the current work of Christ in us. And this is what I'm going to drive home at the end in just a few minutes. It points out the current work of Christ in us. Verse 24 and 25 speak to this. So... Since the presence of God is with us, since we have this future hope before us, let us think of ways to motivate one another. Some of you put a lot of creativity into your social media. What if you put that creativity into the promotion and building up of someone else? Just saying. We don't need more social media. You're not going to be a special snowflake in that world. We've got enough of a sample size to understand that it's predominantly toxic. It is repetitive. It's people trying to worship themselves and build their own followings. And last I checked, it's not your job to sit up on the platform and be worshipped, but it's your job to serve down below and worship God as the Lord and leader on the platform. I never will forget it. Um, several years ago, 
I had this season where we had someone come to Christ at the church I was leading every week for eight months. We were baptizing every week for eight months. We saw 400 people come to Jesus and be baptized in that revival over an eight-month period. Yeah. I never will forget, I walked in the back of the foyer of a church and some college students, so a boyfriend and a girlfriend, uh, walked in because they had a friend of a friend of a friend that talked about God doing something there. And they were living together. They weren't necessarily honoring God in that season, but they knew they needed Jesus. And they said, we heard this is where we need to come to give our lives to Jesus. We need Jesus. Can you help us? And I'm like, well, yes, I can. They're like, well, who are you? I'm like, I'm the pastor. They start crying. I start crying. It's just like, yeah, this is, this is a great season, right? Well, when you have those seasons of success, I mean, we, we that year, I think we had, we rented out the Fox, the historic Fox Theater in downtown Bakersfield, California. There were 1,500 people that came to the Christmas service. We gave a single mom a, who was struggling and behind in her rent. We paid her rent for eight months, gave her a car, loaded it with presents, and blessed her and her family. I mean, it was just one of those years that's like, yeah, squash, Satan, kick him in the... Okay, um, I mean, it was that kind of year. And I remember in the middle of it, I had a dream. Make sure you know this. I was on the radio, and 23,000 people were listening to me every day. Fox News streamed the Easter service. What? It's cool. In the middle of it, I had a dream. In the dream, I was on a white horse, and everybody in our church was down, and they're like, Russ, you are awesome. You're such a good pastor. <laughs> I know Pastor Appreciation Month is October, but we appreciate you all the months. You know, like, like it was just, it was such an, I, and I was like, yeah, this is good. And I'm not joking. And some people laugh. This really happened. In the middle of the crowd, in that dream, I saw Jesus walk up, and he said, would you get off my horse? See, I, I'm not meant to be the one worshiped on the platform. I'm meant to serve the platform that Jesus is worshipped on. He's the one that's to be high and exalted. And if I make it about me being worshipped, I can't be an encouragement to others. I can only be a discouragement. So it's the current work of Christ. Think of ways to motivate each other to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect getting together, as some people do. Now, let me take a quick soapbox here. I, I promise they'll be quick because I just took another soapbox a second ago. But I promise this will be quick. I am all for you taking responsibility over your health in this season. You can get various opinions about various things and that will tell you you should do one thing or another, and I am all for you getting sound counsel and wisdom about doing it. But, but here's my, my one plea. If you are going to go in public all week, send your kids to school all week, if you are, if you are going to go to concerts and, and pay all kinds of money to be in large crowds and go to sporting events, and then you're going to go, but I don't want to risk it to go to church, you have a priority issue. Some of you are like, well, I'm, I'm going nowhere. That's okay. We love you. That's why we're streaming. That's why we're trying to create online community for you. That's fine. But for some of you, you're going everywhere but church. What I want to say to you that are there is let's not neglect getting together. Why? Because we need you to plot, pray, and pay. No. Could care less. Keep your money in your pocket. Don't, if, you wanna, if, that's, if that is the hill you will not get over, and you're like, oh, churches just want your money. No, keep your money forever. Choke on it. Don't care. Don't care about your money. You have been gifted with spiritual gifts to help us become a greater witness to the community around us. And when you sit on your blessed assurance, I know, I'm creating seats for Easter. When you sit on... 
those gifts, refusing to allow God to allow you to come into a community where those gifts could be used to build up others, you actually become a discouragement to the community around you. It's, it's, It's a serious problem after 2020 and 2021. So yes, take precedent and measures that are appropriate for your health. But if you are going to interact in society's large groups, may you not forsake being in the space where your spiritual gifts and the gifts of others could build you up and spur you towards Christ's likeness and goodness. All right, off the soapbox. Encouragement is to be native. Christian encouragement reminds us of present hope, a certain future, and current work in Jesus Christ. Number two, second point about encouragement, that's a big one. Encouragement, number one, is, is native in a Christian community. Number two, encouragement and honor are the only places where we are called with each other to compete. This is the only place in the Bible where God's like, be competitive there. I want you to think about that. A lot of you, we know you're competitive because we've had game nights in our house and we've seen you. If I were to put a, a, a little trash ball right here in a trash can, we'd find out who's competitive because before we left, someone would grab it. Take five steps back, yell Kobe, and throw it. You know what I'm talking about? The more competitive people in the room. Here's, here's my point. Here's my point. Romans 12.10 says that we are to outdo one another in honoring each other. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. The ESV says outdo one another in honor. Outdo one another. That, that, that means I want to honor you more than you can honor me. I want to bless you more than you can be a blessing to me. And the Bible's like, yeah, let that competition go. Now, some of you let the competition of gossip and greed go. Some of you let the comp- competition of envy go. And you compete to be envious or make others envious of you. The Bible says within Christian community, what should be native is a competition of honoring and giving preference to the other. So let me be very clear. Encouragement is native in a Christian community. It is something that we compete about to give more and more of in our community. But what encouragement is not is a couple of things too. Encouragement is not an exaltation of the person. Encouragement is not exaltation of the person. For some of us, the reason we don't like sermons about encouragement and honor and building each other up is we had preachers that were like, worship me. I, I, you know, I'm untouchable. I don't want to be around you. Give me honor. Say great things about me. And, and, and Jesus spoke of people that love seats of honor. In the New Testament, like they looked for them, wanted them. He, he called them Pharisees and a brood of vipers. And so, so the idea is not that in your encouragement you would exalt someone. That's misappropriated worship. God made people unique, and we should honor their uniqueness in our life. But the only thing that is essential is Jesus. So some of you will say things like, I can only hear God speak through you when you preach, or I can only hear God speak through that person when they preach. So I come to church here, but I'm really in love with that pastor online over there because that's where I hear God preach. That's misappropriated worship. And if they are a follower of Jesus, they will not accept that as an encouragement. It's actually a discouragement because somewhere in the process, you stopped seeing Jesus and you started looking at 
them. Some of you will say, well, I can only worship when they play and sing that style of worship or that song. That's misappropriated worship. Some of you say, well, I can't worship and I can't serve God fully until I have a relationship status change. That's misappropriated worship. It's idolatry that's saying, I cannot cherish what's most important until I have what's secondary or of secondary importance, and it will not happen until that changes in my life. That's an exaltation of a thing over God that's a misappropriation appropriation of worship, and it's not Christian encouragement, number one. Number two, Christian encouragement is not an attempt to build up other self-confidence. I know this is going to be revolutionary. It's going to mess some snowflakes up in the room, but that's what I'm here to do in the name of Jesus. If there's anything this world needs less of, it is self-confidence. I'm sick of self-confidence robbing the church of power. (laughs) A Catholic uh, priest said to one of our uh, Protestant church fathers who was a big uh, mover of the faith, he said, you know, we don't, uh, we don't need to teach about the blood of Christ anymore or the cross of Christ anymore because that's just not needed for people to hear. Uh, we just don't need that stuff anymore. And the guy looked back at him and said, and neither do we see resurrections anymore in the church or the power of God anymore in the church. And here's the point. Many, many of us have this watered-down faith experience because we have a bunch of self-confident people that refuse to be a God-dependent people. And God is not into building up your self-confidence. Last I checked, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are in Christ. Colossians says, when Christ is revealed, who is your life? Life. Everything. That means he's everything. He's not like a part of it. He's not a genie. He's not a support system. He's not an insurance policy. You take away Jesus, the Christian has nothing. Or they're not Christian. They're culturally appropriated to a religious system that is powerless and meaningless. And the prophet Bono said, that's what you have when the Spirit of God leaves the room, religion. I'm joking about the prophet Bono part because some of you are like, I don't know about this church. It's calling people. <laughs> I don't want that for you. I don't want that to be your experience. First, Second Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 11 uh, says this. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that by the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my Weaknesses. Look look at this text. It's not self-confidence that needs to be built up. Paul's not self-deprecating himself. He's pointing to the fact that there's nothing in and of himself that's worth building. What's worth building is Christ in him. Some of you aren't comfortable with that because the billion-dollar self-improvement industry has got you convinced that you were such a unique snowflake that out of all the snowflakes, there's a lot of them that fell. But you were just so special that even when you fell, we could see the uniqueness of every intricacy of that snowflake as it was sitting on the ground, and we just need to build that snowflake up. No, 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 no. That's not encouragement. Encouragement is that you would be built up in God dependency, not self-sufficiency. So it's not an attempt to build up other self-confidence. Number three, it's not flattery. Flattery, by definition, is excessive and insincere praise, given especially to further one's own interest. That's not Christian encouragement. I don't encourage you so that you like me better, so that you invite me to more. I encourage you because I see Christ in you. Biblically speaking, Sean DeMars goes on to say, uh, encouragement is never, almost never within the church, excessive. It's exact. So it's not generalities. Generalities are what happen when you don't know what to encourage in them. It's specific. It's always an overflow of 
the heart. And here's the truth. When encouragement is done wrong, it actually becomes a discouragement. I didn't give myself a ton of time to tell you why, but I'll briefly give you at least one idea of why encouragement done wrong is a discouragement. What is, when it's not about Christ working in you, it becomes a burden and a role for you to keep up and play. So when you get encouragement that doesn't point to Jesus' work in your life, it now becomes a pressure point of something that you have to live up to, a persona that you have to personify of something that you are not apart from Jesus in you. So misplaced encouragement becomes discouragement because now you're more of an actor than you were before you received it. Does this make sense? When it's done wrong, it actually detracts from worship, which is what encouragement is meant to do. Let us draw near. Let us come into the presence of God. So when I'm encouraged, I go bolder after Jesus. I love him because I'm radically loved. I'm not trying to earn his approval. I'm already approved. And when I'm encouraged, I live out my faith in a bolder way. But when I'm discouraged, I hide. Because there's 2% of my life that's not seen. And that 2% is the foothold of Satan to discourage me and to keep me back from a full, wholehearted devotion to Jesus. Because I don't want to say it out loud. Because if I said the 2% out loud, then they would dismiss me from the community of God. Instead of being encouraged and built up, I would be torn down and marked with the scarlet letter that I have to wear for the rest of my life. And that's where we get into the anti-gospel of problems within the church. Because he bore your shame. So why do you carry it daily? I had a pastor friend the other day. He called me because he did a church survey to see how the church was going. And he was discouraged (laughs) by what people wrote. May have been honest, but it wasn't encouraging. And he said, What what do I do? Like I how do I change? How do I become the kind of leader? How do I become the kind of teacher? And, and here's what's funny. A lot of times people will say, and I've had this enough because I've thought this of others and I've had others thinking to me, how do I get to where you're at? And because isn't that the, the most discouraging thing? It's like I'm chasing someone that's not named Jesus and I want to be like them because Pinterest says they're awesome. So you, you, you get all your pursuit, you're like, how do I get there? And there is a moving target. There is never enough. There, there never will satisfy. So Colossians chapter 1 gave me insight into how to encourage my friend. It says this, For God wanted them to know the riches of his glory of Christ that are for you Gentiles too. And this is the secret. Christ lives in you. Isn't that encouraging? Oh, I hope that would be a little bit more inspiring to you than that. If you are a follower of Jesus, not by your works, not by your effort, but by the grace of Christ that has allowed you to be forgiven and set free and filled with the Holy Spirit so that the beginning of a good work would start that wouldn't finish till the end. Like, like, like if you have that, and the, the scriptures are clear, he lives in you. That's what you've got. So, so here, here's what's encouragement. I heard him talk and I said, hey, here's what I want you to know. The other couple weeks ago we were talking and there was this family that was sick and you called them and you loved them and you you sought to serve them and I saw Christ in you as you did that. The good shepherd lays down his life and I see Jesus in you because you are laying down your life in service to this people whether they ever thank you for it or not and I just began to point out all of the ways that I was experiencing through his interactions the work of Jesus in him and before long he went from being discouraged to encouraged this is Christian encouragement it's us looking at each other and going man I see Stephen I see Jesus 
in you and the way that you've loved and taught the scriptures to my son. Kimberly, I see Jesus in you and the way that you love your family and support your husband. I see Jesus in you as you write card after card to volunteers with Christy, encouraging and building up volunteers who may think that what they're doing isn't going to matter in light of eternity, but they're actually fulfilling a great requirement to call and raise up the next generation. And I see Jesus in you. You see, that when this starts to happen in a church, it becomes attractive. It breaks out. It, it, people want to be, I want to be around that community. So here, here's what I want you to know. Here's what I want you to know. You are, in Jesus, everything your family needs. You are, in Jesus, everything your work needs. You are, in Jesus, fully accepted, loved, and seated in heavenly places above. You are, in Jesus, the pastor your family needs. You are, in Jesus, the husband your wife needs, the wife your husband needs, the parent your kids needs. It's in Jesus. So may you take up your cross every single day and die to yourself and allow Jesus to live in you, building you up to becoming more and more like him until the day comes in his return. In Jesus' name, amen. Prayer is a way we encourage. And Angela and our prayer team, they every week stand here and look at you, inviting you to repent because there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus, and I mean it. And if, and if you ever get shamed for repenting in this church, I will run the people that shame you out of this church. I'm just going to be honest. I'm not gonna, I, hate, I hate that. When people come forward about their brokenness and they repent and the church sits there with their arms crossed instead of bending their own knees and repenting, get out of here with that. Not your church. This is a hospital, not a den of Pharisees. Get out of here. Repentance is normal. The blood of Jesus prepared the way so that we could humbly come before him declaring we are not self-sufficient. We are God-dependent. We don't deserve it, but we need it. And if you need Jesus... We'd love to pray with you about what it means to have a relationship with him. If you need encouragement and prayer, we'd love to lay hands on you as the scriptures say and pray for healing and pray for God to work in your life. We just want to be biblical in this moment. So let's stand to our feet. If you need prayer, you come forward. If you need to worship, you sing from your soul. May you be the people of Christ in Jesus' name. Amen.